0: Hey up, it's Matt. How's it going? you listen to The Look Inside of his Action Sports podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. How's it going? Everyone good? So only six weeks have elapsed between recording this episode with this week's guest, Mike Basich, and recording this intro. But it might as well be six months, to be honest. I mean, I'm looking out the window here in Brighton. And summer is definitely here. The sun is out. The beach is full. The exchange students are blocking the streets. And that really annoying fucking busker that's the bane of my life has taken up residence outside the office window. Can only mean one thing. Brightening in the summer. Eight short weeks ago, I was staying in Squaw Valley near Lake Tahoe. In the absolute height of winter. And getting ready to meet Mike at a gas station from where he was going to guide myself and my wife Boog to his legendary Area 241. Probably my favourite start to any podcast, this actually. Proper cloak and dagger, cryptic text message with a location to meet, swift drive to this undisclosed location. From there, 3K run on the snowmobile up to Area 241 in all its shadowy, legendary glory. It's quite an experience and quite an immersion into Mike's world and an entirely fitting place to record the episode, really to cover the enigmatic career of one of snowboarding's most legendary figures. Because make no mistake, Mike is a heroic anomaly in the history of snowboarding. I mean, think about it. What attributes spring to mind when you think of the average action sports athlete? Style, skill, bravery, youth, whatever comes first, longevity is unlikely to figure too highly. After all, the majority of professional action sports careers tend to burn short and sharp, averaging a decade at best before real life intervenes. I mean, there's a handful of special talents that have graduated to the legend program, notably in surfing and skateboarding, but they're the exception rather than the rule. And this context is why Mike's achievement is so unparalleled, really. Here's a professional snowboarder who, firstly, has managed to sustain a career for well over 30 years. And even more impressively, he's done so by managing to remain relevant in the face of the relentless progression that is the hallmark of all these cultures. Now that alone would make him a member of an exclusive crew, but what makes Mike's story even more special is the fact that he's done it all completely on his own terms and by following his own highly idiosyncratic path. Not surprisingly, it's an experience that's given Mike a unique outlook on life. And in today's episode, we explored the entire tale. Now central to Mike's story is the aforementioned legendary Area 241, the private resort compound he's created for himself somewhere near Lake Tahoe. It's a two-decade project that is central to the entire story and ethos. And in this chat, we explored what it means to Mike and just how important to the story it really is. So sure, this is the story of a snowboarding career, but as is always the case with Mike, it's so much more. It's about how to live your life on your own terms, how to play the long game while staying true to your principles. It's a great story from one of Snowboarding's most extraordinary individuals and he tells it really really well as you're going to hear. It was a privilege to be um, introduced into Mike's world even for just one short afternoon. Hope you enjoy this episode. Here it is, me and Mike Basich, Area 241. Enjoy. <music>
1: Mystic, you ready? <laughs> no, oh, sorry. sorry. Hey, mystic go, go is down. Mystic is ready. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. You gotta sit. You gotta sit. Good sit.
0: How are you? How are you at sitting in interviews, Mystic? You good? <laughs> I think I think she's good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Can you speak? You woof. You woof. <laughs> wow.
0: Well, yeah. She's amazing. So when did she have the puppies?
1: They were born the fourteenth of December. Right. And the last ones took off like two and a half week, three weeks ago. They the puppies found in the last homes. Yeah, so I had had eight puppies.
0: See, so see, so you had the full eight weeks to twelve weeks of full on puppy care. Eight puppies. How was that? It
1: was it was wild. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I was I've never well, I've been to, at my first dog had puppies. Like was, I was a little bit young, but to be here for the birth. Yeah, watch her be a mom like been amazing yeah like she caught squirrels brought up got squirrels to the babies like she's like the full like home like survival mom no uh, yeah it's pretty neat it's a full full house so we had you know babies babies and babies yeah because you you were saying that you've
0: just become a dad as well so yeah you, so it was all within like a couple of weeks right
1: yeah a couple of weeks apart so we had yeah A full house of like a little funny farm going on, ticking a few boxes. Yeah, and at the same time, it was snowing two to three feet a day. Yeah,
0: (laughs) so yeah, keeping pretty busy. Yeah, so how's it been? Because this, I mean, we've been in town like a couple of days, and basically, everybody's. I mean, you can see the amount of snow there is. I mean, even where we are now, there's a lot of snow, and everybody's like, "This year is epic." So it's like it's an unusual year, right, to get this amount of snow.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I think one of the best snow. Snow years on record, yeah. So far, what so I've heard. What what
0: what's it at now, do You know, in terms of like actual, how much has I, fallen?
1: I don't know what the, the snowfall is, but I know our season 2011 we got 50 feet, of right? Snow. So we're I think we're just above that.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: So how is that for the
0: upkeep of this place? Because we're I'll just say we're in area two four one, right? Yeah, and yeah, We're up here. Uh, Mike's been kind enough to to drive us up here on the snowmobile. I've always wanted to check this place out because. We share a mutual friend with with Dan Dan Milner, um, yeah. my friend Jono has been up here, my friend Ed's been up here that you you know obviously as well, yeah. and yeah really you know really grateful that you that you brought us up here because it's amazing to see it yeah, you know I'm
1: stoked to have you guys up here yeah. I'm yeah. always happy to share it and it's but it, yeah if you can kind of see it's we're. Three miles from, a you know, any kind of machinery or paved yeah, road.
0: Yeah, you, you definitely, definitely be out of the way. Yeah. yeah. So
1: w- with the, this kind of winter, it actually, you don't, it doesn't mean you ride more really up here. It's it's a lot of upkeeping. Yeah. Of just keeping things maintained, unburied, you know, my snow cat. Yeah. If it gets too buried, it could be there for the season. Yeah. Which which... You, you kind of need a cat in this kind of like winter. Just yeah. Just to get the car out and to go to the grocery store.
0: And even like the child, if like the, you know, the the stands like the the pylons like i mean presumably when you get that much wet snow on there you that's a lot of upkeep that's a lot it's of maintenance a lot of weight. yeah because yeah. you know they're going to start falling aren't they
1: yeah that's the one reason i built this out of stone because I, I wanted it to be solid and maintenance free yeah so this 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 cabin's actually been doing amazing for because it's it can, been almost 20 years since i built it yeah it can take the weight yeah it's it's i haven't done anything on the outside since i built it and
0: what, um, so what are the materials that you use it's all local presumably
1: yeah so this is all uh sierra granite stone from the property everything's probably within 200 feet right hand-picked carried and put in place some like some of the walls are about three feet thick yeah the bottom and they kind of taper up to about two feet at the top and there's it's all dry stacked meaning like each rock's leaning on another rock and then it's backfilled with cement yeah and these rocks that you see on the inside are actually separated from the outside rock. There's like a thin bubble wrap inside the wall to, yeah. to break that to lose your heat or the cool the cold air coming in. Yeah. So that that helps. It kind of the sun. The windows face south, so if it's sunny, the to, rocks it, heat up from the morning. It out. heats it.
0: Yeah. So had you is this the first place you've built?
1: Uh this is my first building and I put everything. That I wanted to in the life. Yeah. Something that shaped of what it, my dreams were.
0: Yeah, this is the culmination of yeah, what you've been thinking I, about.
1: I've done some remodeling homes. I built tree houses, you know, built go karts, all this stuff as a kid. And yeah. Everything I've done, I think I got to learn to be able to do this from mm. those things. Because it's, it's not exactly a straightforward forward way of building. Yeah. And I don't do things with blueprints, really. I just kind of make, make a little sketch. And that, that's kind of my start, and that's all I start with. Right. And then kind of everything, everything else kind of takes up as you pick up a rock, like, okay. Yeah. The rocks are kind of shaping this a little bit to understand what this is going to look like. And, you know, the, the woods all milled from here. And the first year I I was in a teepee here. Yeah. Which helped me a lot understand the weather pattern. Right. Like how to favor that. Because like, as you can see, these glass actually look, acts like a tree well. And that actually is because of the way the building's facing for the wind. If we were down in the woods more, where it's way easier to get to, yeah, we would be completely buried. Yeah, and sure, I'd be shoveling more, I'd yeah, have to stack more firewood because we wouldn't get as much sun. So, it, it's actually a plus to be up here, even though it's harder to get up here.
0: Yeah. So you spent that first year basically learning about the the, the land and working out the best place to build. Yeah, trying
1: to favor nature in, in in my favor.
0: Yeah, and Dan told me that um, it's a pentangle, right? it's pentagon yeah so what was the was there any
1: particular reason for that what i when i started or when i bought the property i i started learning a little about the golden ratio yeah and some friends mentioned it in architect and so i got interested in that i like math and just like more of a sacred like
0: can you describe that for people listening who might not know what that is because that's obviously something that famously like leonardo used in in his most famous paintings like, you know, the, yeah. mo- like the Mona Lisa, the Last Supper, the enunciation, like they're all, they'll conform to this, don't they? Basically.
1: Yeah. So the golden ratio, um, also, um, quantum physics. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a math equation and the simple, it's all in nature. Everything's kind of based on this math, just how the world spins in space. And uh, so the simpleness of the math part is you always, add the last two numbers to get the next number. So if you start in the beginning with one, you know, you one, one, you get two. So one plus two, you get three, you like go five, eight, 13. And so if you take that equation with, say, your floor plan, with the wall plan and your ceiling, it's under those equations. You know, it could be like three, five, eight, as far as the measurements. The reason people don't do it anymore is because it's a lot cheaper the way plywood comes at the store sure. just enough for your head to get through so the golden ratio actually used to be done in old architects right buildings so it's much more of a standard yeah it was more based on the the natural human instinct yeah and the reason i like i like wanted to build it off that is because it's more you walk in a place it feels more fitting to the body yeah because you're built under the same math so you have a little bit of more of a, a a relationship with the
0: yeah building. so it's a pro- i mean it's a proportional ideal isn't it basically
1: yeah and I, I i what i did i learned a little bit about it and then i realized i was getting too much information right shaping my ideas yeah so i got enough what i wanted and then i just let go I'm yeah like, okay that's enough i don't want to read anymore you don't want to
0: blind yourself yeah yeah so i kind of overwhelmed
1: i measure my own body yeah you know, so I, I built this under my own equation maybe it's probably not perfect you know, yeah it's, but it's it's me it's like my my body beating being here and it led to different things learning what i learned a lot about it was about movement that a lot about time has everything to do with movement yeah and so i started to think about when i was born all these things like what i'm doing here on the earth and i ended up putting a star in the window here that actually on my birthday shadows makes a shadow on the floor wow and within relationship of the whole pentagon drawing part that's a real um trick that a lot of
0: a lot of architects do as well isn't it do you know brunel um, no. brunel's like the the most famous like british engineer like in the industrial revolution he built like um a lot of the pioneering bridges like uh, new techniques like for for bridges across new spans and he built tunnels that were that never been built before and there's a famous oh, okay. tunnel basically that he built um in bath which i think was the longest tunnel that had ever been constructed at the time we're talking about like the 1830s or whatever and i Oh, on his birthday, the sun shines from one end to the other. Oh, no way. And it's like eight miles long or something, this thing. <sighs> you know, it's, so it's like a like little is... personal touch, isn't it? You know, like to, yeah. to kind of design it around your own iconography and your own symbolism, basically. Yeah. So that's it's, what you put into this. That's it's, amazing.
1: It's fun because you make you realize you're in sync with what's actually going on. Yeah. You know, because our, our world is really like the movement of our galaxy. It's if, if it stopped is, you know, everything stops. So that's why I learned like a uh, movement of like celebrating that moment in time. Yeah.
0: And it's there for you every every day. You can see it. And then on that one day, you can really see it.
1: Yeah. It moves just a little bit for three years and then it goes back. So every seven years, it takes to actually go back to exactly where it was on my 33rd birthday. When okay.
0: I started it. Right. That's amazing.
1: Which makes, you know, when they say like, they only know they learn different winners every seven years. Like yeah. numbers, a very special number. And like, you're like, you start to see it. Yeah. You know, versus just like hearing about it. So yeah. So yeah. You really start to see nature working in these things that we learn about in school or work wh- through wherever. So is that principle that you're talking
0: about? Cause you, you know, you're talking about understanding and appreciating your place in nature and taking your rightful place there. Was that kind of what underpins the whole thing? Like why, why you're here, you know, why you've created this place?
1: it's yeah i did this a lot to learn um what it takes to survive on your own because i I like independence but i'm more in anything want to have a connection with stuff and the only way i really know how to do that is to kind of heart call it hardship where it's there's a bit of a struggle to get your own water you know or to be able to stay warm or stay dry like these things are so in our society these days that take it for granted think about it yeah flush the toilet and your shit goes away. Turn it tap
0: on. You know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, water comes out until you turn it off. Like when you start carrying up, you know, amount of water to take one shower a day, it's like you wouldn't take a shower every day. Yeah. And so there's the that's the way I've journeyed with this where I'm like, okay, I'm going to supply We're off the grid here. You know, some supply on power. Yeah. And the simpleness of what I did was like, okay, I just need to go to bed with the sun and wake up with it. My cut in labor is way in half. My impact is minimum yeah, because of that. And you start to feel like, oh, I'm more in sync with actually nature versus this mm-hmm. idea that I can do anything I want in this world and I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. But you're up here like, wow, I'm actually pretty vulnerable to nature and I need to work with what's here. And so that's kind of my journey with this place is just trying to figure out a deep appreciation and understand what I really, truly want. Yeah. What I want to do with my life. You know, it's like I've done the big house thing where you think you're supposed to invest in something fancy. Yeah. It was fun, but it it wasn't that big of a reward. It just kind of made me easy just to let it go. Yeah. Like here I have so many years of experiences that it's really all I have when I leave the planet. It was like these experiences. So I'm like, okay. It's actually I I'll be sad to leave, but I'm like... At least I put in something that was, I guess, is unique. It's been u- unique for me. Yeah, and and has a meaning, presumably. It has some depth that, yeah. yeah. It feels like I went, you know, it was a lot based on my heart because how much work to do this, I don't think anything else in me would actually make me, like, continue it. I'd get burnt out.
0: Is that part of the appeal? Because you did use the the word hardship, you know, like as, as something that gives meaning. So is that, is that something that you've always... Found that 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 the, if you have to work harder at something, and that gives you a deeper appreciation and understanding of what the point was.
1: It it, it I've done it most of my life, but I didn't have an understanding about it.
0: Yeah, because I guess my other question is: it sounds like this has probably evolved. This, it's this, this, turned
1: this. more into like trying because I've tried to explain myself before and giving talks, and I've come to realize the simple explanation of it is that I, you know, we as humans, we want to just make things easier yeah you know we build refrigerators we build washing to wash our clothes we don't have to do it by hand all this stuff that's well we, makes us able to do other things we
0: invent farming you know like we we do we, we try and scale don't we basically for for convenience it's like yeah. seems to be a fundamental does not it
1: yeah so it's it's a, it's a really interesting thing to face if you look at it like okay do we should we be able to do whatever we want or do we need some sort of guidance? from, you know, if we we're going to base our guidance off nature, then that's kind of what I'm trying to do here, at least of like working with the weather and like being in harmony with it or the other way, you know, the, the mind comes a lot from uh, a hierarchy, you call it some, some, something that's not so physical, more of a, a spiritual or a religious type of idea. And like, if you use that as a guidance then I personally think you get a little off balance, with actually the planet. right? Because what we've done here so far on the planet isn't in sync with nature. So something is far, overpowering. Far from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. So I, I, I always kind of like look back, I'm like hardship should be motivated. Because that whole idea like making something, an invention to make life easier, is not really like the, the, the true balance of finding our, our way like the other thing is like make it hard make it fun you know hardship doesn't not have to be bad you know i i do this out of pure joy because it's fun like
0: yeah well you of- well uh, and an intrinsic part of by the sounds of it what you with the projects that you do is, is learning right because what you said earlier was that you learned enough about the golden ratio to get what you needed from it and then you took that and kind of created your own idea so is that is that something that's also at the heart of this like the You know that you can learn enough to to make your own path
1: it it, what I feel like what I now own that no one can take away from me is enough knowledge that I could walk the earth and survive yeah and I'm not saying I'm gonna be perfect at it yeah but I have enough like confidence of like taking that leap over the threshold of discomfort like okay I'm on the other side of the world and I'm gonna build a house in the jungle or whatever it is to stay you know living I feel like I I don't need to draw this out. I don't need to plan for a year to figure it out. Yeah. kind of like you just start that action motion and let you kind of just so you meet it. Because in building, a lot of people think that things are supposed to be uh, done right. Done in a way. They're, yeah. You're yeah. supposed to have blueprints from start to finish. So when you're done, it turns out like the blueprint. Yeah. And there's so many mistakes in building, especially when you do want to do something unique or that's not um, straightforward for people um, the hard part is finding people to actually do it with you yeah um, so there's been a small handful of friends that come up and we just kind of brainstorm as we get going and you, you find that rhythm with workers you're like you don't know what you're doing but you're doing something yeah and at the end of the day you like stand back you're like
0: wow yeah we did this.
1: this this is cool yeah you know we didn't draw this up yeah and that's that's the part where like I try to tell people like don't draw it off just go you're gonna feel like you fail but that's actually part of the learning process and at the end of the day if you got nothing done you hold information on this doing it next or for someone later
0: yeah i mean i think that's something that isn't easy for people is it because because as you say people are used to things being done for them and are used to a particularly sort of a particular convenience so i think when when they're faced with the approach that you're talking about it can be difficult for people to let that go right which is kind of what you're talking about to kind of accept the fact that it might be imperfect or that you might not know what you're doing or you might make mistakes i think that's it's difficult for people
1: it's it, i mean i you can't do it on certain levels like i say you're going to build a bridge for the the public to get to the other side of the river yeah you know you have to have some planning yeah like, but, they're probably going to want to see a blueprint yeah but, <laughs> but arc like the architect engineering part if you built something say on a small scale and you just stand back and look at it normally your instinct like okay it looks right it's gonna work sometimes you just look at something like look something looks too skinny something looks too big on one side or off balance and that that's the part that I I guess I'm chasing yeah like an a, the basic instinct of the human being the, the leading act yeah of the guidance whatever whatever you're doing just to have that be the main, the main goal or the main guidance of like bringing that out and yeah. at least experiencing it doesn't mean you're gonna do it, the thing again perfect, but it's gonna be something that's brought out of the human that can be practiced. Yeah, we'll, we'll get better at it. The yeah. experience <laughs> is the point. Yeah, I we mean we have the capacity to do amazing things. we used to do amazing things in an older age as well. And back to these inventions that took are taking things away from us
0: yeah 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 i mean you look when when you look around this place is i see a lot of projects you know a lot of different projects obviously there's the place we're in now and then there's the chairlift and you know um are you somebody that's always had those like those projects because you know you've you've done vehicles haven't you you've done you've done a lot of different different things over the years Is that always been the case have you always been somebody that's that's had that going on
1: it's it's been my main way of learning how to do things yeah and I, I didn't I didn't do so good in school, even though I went to a Waldorf school in Sacramento, and um, it's a private art school, you know, based on learning through the arts. Yeah. Um, so I, my mom and dad always threw stuff at us to me and my sister to do different buildings and tree houses. And I learned my math that way. I learned how to build and like so just build. I build things to do. Like I built I built a sawmill. Like I've never built a sawmill before, so. Different things like that. I really enjoy, yeah. like pulling things apart. And I've always done that as a kid. Like just pull the toaster apart, and like yeah, I find out oh this is how it works. What you know? can learn. Yeah, and in the practice of that, I like because I'll my car will break down or something. Like if you take it apart, you can normally if you listen enough to when you're taking something apart, you'll understand what the process is of what the machinery is supposed to do. And you can easily figure out how to fix it if you just kind of understand what the goal is of the machine. Yeah. And so that that helps me a lot to take on things um, and have a progressive feeling to it of growing. Yeah. And uh, being up here, you kind of need that in some form. To yeah, I fix, imagine.
0: Fix stuff yourself. Yeah. Well, that, it seems to be how it's evolved, like the 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 whole area. You know, like you've done one thing and then you're like, oh, I'm going to do a lift. And then you've got a lift. and like, oh, I'm going to get like the, the snow, the snow moving machine, the peace basher, whatever, like, you know, Um is that, was it, has it been quite organic the way you've developed this place?
1: Yeah, it came organic, but it came in an organic way where like when I was like, really young till I was about 11, all I wanted to do was build a cabin in the woods. Right. And so how I found this place was also because of snowboarding It came, you know, when I was 13 on. And so these are two worlds of my young life and what I, you know, bumped into snowboarding and now I'm like I, I never thought I'd live. Before. You, you have com- to like snow built to the house. Yeah, you can combine the two, the two yeah. passions. it, and it's worked out really well because I get to share my passion with snowboarding out here, and I get to create all the stuff I've learned around the world. Yeah, try to try to bring it home. Yeah, that must be really satisfying. It's been very satisfying. Yeah, yeah, and it's really fun to be out here and not feel like I have to go chase the snow.
0: Yeah, well, you've done that, haven't you? I mean, it's a good point to talk about. So you brought up in this part of the world, obviously. Yeah. This you guys. Is home, homestead. Yeah. Right and you right guys, around. when did you start riding? Yeah. 85. Yeah. How old were you? 13. Okay. So first generation, really. Obviously, there's people late 70s, but first generation of kids, let's say, right. that yeah. probably that, you know, actually took to it rather than skiing, right?
1: Yeah. And it's been fun because I learned my first days across the valley here. Like yeah, I, yeah. I look at it every day. Yeah which is amazing so what
0: how did you discover it we we did you ski from a young age or
1: uh the property i discovered kind of randomly because i i was living in my car at the time oh when you found this place yeah right and i i was like okay i want to have something in tahoe and i started I actually started looking at condos down at donner lake and i realized the price of stuff and i was like okay i'd much rather have like yeah, I can live in a tent for the same price. I can see that
0: would get a little <laughs> little expensive down there.
1: Yeah. And I realize there's not that many options yeah. to be in Tahoe and have, I mean, we're on 40 acres here. I, or I just bought some more next door. So we're actually on 80, 83 acres. Yeah. And uh, the process, I, I, it said no view, non-accessible in the winter, <laughs> no power. Perfect. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I had a map, I snow build up here and it was all covered in snow. And I I got lost a little bit and I hiked up on a ridge and I was like, wow, if it's anywhere close to here, I'll I'll take it. Right. So I got an escrow, came up here with the previous owner and they showed me like roughly where the property lines were. And it looked a lot like what it does right now. Yeah. No idea what's underneath the snow. And uh, I bought it in December and uh, by June... I, it was like unwrapping a present. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I have waterfalls and there's rocks and boulders. Wow, amazing. Little swimming holes and there's a lake 15-minute walk from here. Right. So different things, I just kind of got surprised as things went. And yeah. It's it's a really nice setup because it's to buy this amount of land where we are that's accessible by car with being connected to the grid, I, I would never be able to afford it. Right. So it really worked in my favor that we're off the grid because I wanted that anyway. Yeah. And I didn't have to pay for it, even if it was here. Yeah. So it worked really great. And i able to take on this project where it's more of a um, an experiment of life for me. Yeah. It's my place of like practice to believe and practice my religious way of moving through life. Yeah. I'm not here like I need the things work exactly to make it... Makes sense on paper for you know financially, so that that's helped a lot where you just kind of like do something like this, and your, your investment's pretty small.
0: Yeah, when you spent those years traveling as a snowboarder, did you ever think you might settle somewhere else, or did you always know you'd come back here?
1: Uh, I, I like the, the weather in California, yeah, so I, I kind of always been drawn to come back here. I mean, I lived in Utah for 10 years, and it was convenient, it was, I love the snow out there, yeah, I love Alaska. I moved to Europe for a little bit. Yeah. Where were you in Europe? In uh, Innsbruck. Oh, you were? Yeah. Uh, okay. So these different places and times, like, oh, yeah, I could live here, you know. I looked at you in Chamonix, and Went and visited Dan for the first time. Like, oh, we'll buy a place here. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I, this, this area gives me kind of like all season experience, like stuff that I can enjoy. Like. Yeah. There's gardening. I kind of mapped out when I bought this place. Like if I ever have a family, like what kind of school do it? I want to go to Yeah, 40 minutes from here. You can have a garden, you know, you're still up where there's amazing snow. And right now we're 20 minutes from a town. Yeah. So I can go down and have dinner, watch a movie or do whatever. And I'm still part of the world. Yeah. Like I didn't want to be too far out to be a hermit. And so being like being Alaska, I'd love going there, but I don't know if I'd want to live there all year round. Yeah. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, sort of fits perfectly for the way you want to live your life
1: yeah it's it's something to offer me more of like a long life time because the mountains here aren't huge you know like riding big mountains but i'm probably not going to do that forever yeah so this is kind of a perfect place where i could do i could do this till as long as i you know could walk probably
0: (laughs) yeah so it'd be good to talk about the snowboarding career because obviously you know started in 85 and then you you know you had a kind of classic career really right as a, as a professional rider like did did the contest sort of parts did the video stuff right did alaska you know so when you, so you said you guys started when you were when you were kids
1: yeah i mean, i, I was more of the younger in the group that i hung out with yeah my, my sister's three years older than me yeah and we so we started snowboarding together and i learned a lot of my stuff by hanging out with the people that hung out with my sister
0: yeah so, so who, who who was that then who were, the, who were you riding with back then
1: we the crew that we rode up here was like tucker francis yeah uh, chris roach monty roach good role models Devin ryerson damien sanders yeah it kind of turned in or it started as a really small experiment was, you know I'd, we skateboard a little bit and yeah there's a couple of contests for snowboarding up here and so we learned how to do the the junior events and uh, did that for a couple years got got hooked and thought oh, we will take a year off after high school do the snowboard thing and then go to college or something yeah the classic yeah he's still on your year off kind of thing yeah and it was kind of like we didn't me and my sister we didn't really fit in like the soccer team like different parts of high school so hanging out at a resort and feeling like an outcast kind of felt pre-natural
0: it's a big part of the appeal i think in those years wasn't it of these it was, of these cultures
1: yeah because out here there's a lot of there's a big freestyle influence which came a lot a lot with culture you know just the mohawk colored hair like yeah surf skate punk and punk was pretty you know big big in the mid 80s yeah they so, kind of they were linked
0: weren't they you know as a culture
1: yeah um, and it kind of it happened pretty fast we're all of a sudden we we're we we're starting to make money and contest prizing was like you made money. I mean, everyone spent it. So no one still really didn't care about <laughs> what tomorrow was going to offer. Just yeah, today you, mattered. <laughs> you were young kids, weren't you? Yeah. You know, snowboarding, making a bit of money. Of course yeah. you didn't. And I, I remember when I started getting paid for the first time uh, for a sponsor, I was like, oh, I may well start my own clothing company. Right. And that's I, I started my my clothing company right out of high school. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So right. I started in 91 and uh, been doing that s- still. And that, that's helped me a lot, learn how to run a business by dealing with contracts and marketing. And that's kind of what I'm trying to share up here is like more of a lifestyle marketing yeah. experience. Because a lot of us now, this is kind of what we want to do. We don't want to do the competition scene. You know, I did the competition scene for 15, 20 years. Yeah. And it's, it, was, it was fun. It was a blast. I'm, I'm so stoked I was in the time of the snowboarding because it was fresh and pretty raw and
0: it yeah it was a good time to do that 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 circuit i think wasn't it because it still had that kind of like that alternative edge to it and it was you know it's not like now like where if you if you do that it's a very different game isn't it you know if if that's the path that you take through it i think when it always looked like from when you guys came up you could do that but it wasn't the the sole focus you know it was it was one avenue that you could do
1: yeah yeah so now, now i mean even now it's like it seems like so dangerous some of the stuff that people are doing it's, it's so wild people are, you know, don't know how to make sense out of it that don't snowboard like that look cool but yeah i, no I snowboard
0: and sometimes <laughs> i'm like <light. laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean it's it's amazing what people are doing with on a the snowboard these days but yes yeah. uh, me personally i'm i don't have so many interests anymore no well, much older of course now but yeah
0: so you started the business, the, so it's, and it is two for one, right? The, the, two, yeah, two for yeah. one. So you, I, I didn't realize that you started it that young. So that was always an idea that you had when you, when you first, where'd that come from then?
1: The, the name came, I was making, I learned, going to Waldorf, I learned how to sew and knit, all these things. So one summer I was, I was sewing uh, pants for, to wear under your snowboard pants. Yeah. And they, yeah, they're actually reversible pants. So you turn them inside out and they're a whole other pattern, different style. And so uh, that's where, you know, you buy one, get two, do one. Okay. And so that's, I I wanted a a international logo or name. And so numbers was perfect. Yeah. Kind of, that's how it started. And we don't do reversible pants, but like (laughs) the the, um, jeans I'm wearing right now are actually Cortex jeans. So you can go skating, go to dinner, you can go snowboarding or snowmobiling.
0: Yeah. You got the same outfit on. And you're still like fully this, you know, designing everything like completely hands-on with with the whole process?
1: Yeah, yeah. We work a lot in Japan. Yeah. So half of the line's a little bit Japanese-based fashion, but I always bring in what I want from living up in the snow. I learn a lot about just the technical part of materials. Yeah. Try to make something more fitting that's kind of more universal for many different kind of lifestyles.
0: So with, I mean, there's basically... the. it's a bit of a DIY is the phrase I was going to use like a, it's almost saying it a little bit short but you know you've always basically it seems like throughout your career you've looked at the opportunities that you've been given and you've kind of tried to find your own way of doing it whether it's that whether it's like even like the the approach that you took to Alaska you know like going up there in your own RV that you've designed and and like when everybody's like going up there and, and using helicopters and like you know you've always had like, like this slightly different approach it seems that You've tried to just see how it's going to work best for you from the start by the sounds of it as well.
1: I think, um, yeah, So I've always been, I guess, chasing something. Yeah. That's a little bit kind of wanting to see what could happen, pushing the envelope of building new boards, bindings, clothes, um, building stuff I love doing. And I think a big part of like my younger life, I, I don't know if you knew, but I, I had epilepsy when I was young. No, I didn't know that. And so my that whole experience of having epilepsy from like six to 13 was um kind of a dark phase and so getting coming out of it i overcame that through food diets and different things or something happened where i don't have it anymore i got my driver's license two years later and that or three years later um but that kind of awakening or appreciation for life you know it makes me just want to be kind of on the edge, of um, feeling alive. Yeah, and I've, I guess I found that way of doing that through building and experiencing snowboarding. I'm not a huge like adrenaline like experiencer where I'm like I need to threaten my life. Yeah, even though I've done some stuff that's <laughs> pretty uh, out there. I was gonna say
0: I've seen a few, <laughs> seen a few shots. There's, there's,
1: there's, <laughs> yeah, there's some stuff out there.
0: Yeah, um, that was never the point. That was never like the the, the reason for it
1: yeah that, that was a very unique like the, the helicopter drop was like a an experiment of art for me yeah just try to see if i can capture something that looks a little you know bizarre and wasn't photoshopped well that, that, i mean i remember when that came out so we should say so
0: this is like the and hopefully i'll be able to use this like on the site because it's such a classic shot but this is well maybe let's get to that but maybe let's go back a little bit because the the whole self-shooting thing is really interesting which is what you're referring to right because it's another kind of area where you pioneered, really. You know, like this this way of shooting yourself. But before there was any technology existence, so it was before GoPros, before any kind of action cams. Um, you basically worked out a way of of shooting yourself in any environment, right? So, culminating in jumping out of a helicopter. But you know, you were doing that for years, right? You were. I mean, I remember seeing shots from again from Alaska and from all. You travel, so where, and it's the same thing we're talking about. It's the same having an idea, working out how to get there, like you know, creating using it as a problem to create your own equipment. But where did you get that idea from? Because that was something I was always really interested in. Because it did really stand out from the from the the prevailing kind of snowboarding visual trends, really. Because you know the way that people shot snowboarding back then was really specific, wasn't it? You know, you'd partner with a photographer, right. you'd have. You'd have, you know, there'd be angles that you'd see all the time. There'd be framing that you'd see all the time. There was a way of doing it, which was, which filled the magazines, but your stuff really wasn't like that. So, another question I guess I've always wanted to ask you about that was was it just that, that you had the idea and you thought, oh, that, like, I'll, I'll work out how you could do it? Or was it a little bit of frustration that you weren't seeing what you wanted to see?
1: It's both. both. And, uh, thank you. I'm glad I stand out as a unique, unique part of snowboarding with photography because I, um, i've when i when i competed i you know i enjoyed that experience and then i realized when i quit competing i haven't told my full story you know want to. I, I wasn't done sharing what snowboarding was to me and so i started going out with photographers more and more and you realize like you're, what you're trying to do is paint one picture together yeah like,
0: you try to, you try to sell an image really with that format aren't you you know with that way of working yeah you
1: know? and there's always photographers don't Want to be told what to do? Yeah, you know, even though like I'm like, okay, I know I I can see what you're seeing because I can tell which way you're pointing the camera, and something else is actually going to happen when I go off this thing. Yeah, so there's been moments where I'm like, okay, I started learning how to weld around this time, and I I welded a little like camera case that bolted onto the tail of my snowboard, and I bought the the wire trigger that came with the the Nikon camera I had, and so I shot that and was realized, okay. How do I make this? Where I can put this thing on a tripod, mm-hmm. and so I found <laughs> which is a
0: pretty technical <laughs> I,
1: I challenge. I think it was Radio Shack or something that had you know had the soldering kits to solder wires together off yeah. of a remote to fire the the trigger, and uh, I remember taking my first photo with a remote. You know, it took me weeks to do it, but I uh, captured what my ma- imagination. You know, i go to sleep thinking about a photo and i wake up thinking about it. I wanted to see if I can complete the process myself, just to, one of those things see if it could be done. Yeah. And I bought all the, I, I made good money from competition at the time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go invest. I spent six grand to take one photo. Yeah. This really was my process of it and then after the first photo i was like okay there's a whole like room of capacity to like have fun with this whatever this is and i kind of just keep going there's a lot of work though because yeah right everything you see i hiked twice you know you got to go set the camera up then you got to set the aperture hike up and half the photos i took didn't work out while well, you're using film as well let's, let's yeah so the film you never knew if it worked yeah. and the the clouds would roll in, or the lens would fog up. While you're down there, you shoot yeah. the whole roll, and you didn't know you shot the whole roll. And-
0: oh, it's incredibly laborious, uh, you know, compared to, again, compared to like the classic, like right, go and do that. I'll shoot. I'll stand here, shoot that. You know, like it's just a completely different approach, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And th- what I learned though, also those times, because I went from shooting probably 13 years of with SLR cameras, yeah, and then the GoPro started to come into the game. And I realized when I started taking the GoPro photos, the imagery of what I was doing really changed. And I think just being extra hard to take a photo, I'd spend way more energy and time planning it out, thinking about it. And so I I, I, had, I captured, I think, a much better image when the hardship came into play. Like, yeah, that, that theme again. Yeah. yeah. When you had
0: to work harder for it. Yeah. I mean, I remember... the was the reaction wasn't if we're being frank wasn't always like completely positive either was it you know when when those shots came out did did you did you did you feel
1: that oh yeah yeah there's there's well even like my very first self-portraits people you know it's kind of a cheesy idea you know because no one was very
0: core back then it was as well back then that era was like you know it wasn't really like now where there's there's it's much more accepted that you can have these different cultural strands of snowboarding isn't it but back then it was like there was a there was an industry there was a there, nah, it was presented yeah. in a certain way wasn't it and that was that really you know? yeah
1: so that that kind of took like uh, it took some work to show a good enough image that people were like oh th- th- this is actually beautiful to look at yeah and then they would go, oh holy shit he took the photo as well yeah like that kind of came second yeah um so that that was actually a nice equation to have that introduced to certain people i was lucky enough the magazines like let me come in and you know show what i was doing
0: yeah well i think it was just unique wasn't it and and a, and a different like i say different perspective on what was you know a pretty well traveled path really you know back then
1: yeah and i learned i learned quite a bit through for other photographers yeah like i'll never forget when photographers like taking the photos you know half the work The other half is like getting it to the magazines, writing a story, a backstory. Yeah. And what what I learned by that was I I started looking through magazines. I'm like, okay, 50, 60, 70% of the photos at the time, this is in like 2000, 1999. Yeah. They were half like jib shots. Yeah. For the US magazines. I'm like, okay, I hate jibbing. (laughs) (laughs) My sponsor dropped me because I quit competing. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I want to see if I can do a a jib shot, so I, I built the, the rainbow rail, yeah. Another classic, road. yeah, yeah. And I'm, i I'd much be riding powder, you know. <laughs> ah, right, okay. So this <laughs> but, was, but that photo was like, I was like, okay, if I'm gonna do this jib thing, yeah, I'm gonna I'm do gonna, it my way. I'm
0: gonna do the world's <laughs> most mental rainbow. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was, um, just kind of like trying to still work with the industry, yeah, you know, because on
0: your, on your own terms
1: in a way we're like yeah i want to i want to keep me doing what i want to do yeah but I'll, I'll meet you halfway
0: well i mean that's another question that i've got which is about support you kind of said that because you have had this you know like i mean we're talking 30 years really you know you've been, you've been i guess a professional snowboarder and i guess there must have been times where you didn't have the support you know and you were kind of out on your own but it strikes me that you're probably someone that doesn't really worry about that too much. Do you kind of do do the work and then think, well, if it's good, that'll come later?
1: Yeah. I mean, if you put your heart into something, I always feel like it finds a home somewhere. Yeah. And I, I really love snowboarding. I really love the industry. You know, I understand it pretty well. And, you know, I have projections of like where it's going to go. Yeah. It's really hard to get a company to do something that hasn't happened you know, so there's a lot of learning curves, like, okay, I just got to ride this out a little bit, you know, improve myself, you know, make, get more better photos, or make something that's going to catch someone's eye. Even when, like, the helicopter dropped, around that time, I had a really hard time getting sponsors, you know, because I was not the cool guy, you know, and I was in my 30s, like, no one wants to invest in a 30-year-old professional snowboarder, because it could be done next year and might as well invest in someone younger that's gonna last in 10 years i
0: remember back then having a conversation with a team manager after mickey albin got dropped from burton and i remember being like what like and um <laughs> yeah. he was like well he was a bit old i think and i was like he was 24 <laughs> I mean, like it's, it's it was hard it, it was that though wasn't it you know yeah because
1: i mean there was no really way of marketing the older age I and mean, we're all getting older so yeah we we got to go somewhere or, or a lot of those people i just went and got painting jobs or construction jobs and-
0: yeah i mean it's happening now isn't it but but it wasn't happening then
1: yeah but it took like 10 years yeah to like oh we're, we're gonna actually market a lifestyle yeah you know and that, that doesn't have to do with doing the best trick it doesn't have to do with the best outfit it's more just we all love snowboarding
0: yeah it's like about the joy of snowboarding basically yeah yeah
1: and so I'm, i've been finding my way you know it's been up and down and it's i've carried myself through you know it's gone in debt many times and yeah climbed out of it
0: yeah yeah the peaks and troughs yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: so where the idea for the
0: helicopter come from cuz it's still a very very striking image
1: i it, it took a couple of years Cause I thought about it and I'm like, okay, I want to do something that's big enough and there's no cliff on the side. It was more just trying to make a photo without, the, without the helicopters that looked like someone just fell out of the sky. Yeah. Cause that's right around then was when Photoshop people started getting people shit for Photoshopping photos. Yeah. You know, and I was, Most of us were all still shooting slide film. Um, and so I was like, oh, what's that look like? You know, like, how do I, how do I make that happen? And I, I thought about the helicopter thing because I've I jumped out of a helicopter on a bungee cord, you know, and so I'm like, oh, I, I do these things in Alaska. If I can get the the pilot to agree, then maybe I'll get to do it. And uh, I actually, in the beginning, I thought I'd have to go to New Zealand or somewhere. But what did you do? Why would you do it then? In Alaska, you did do it in Alaska. Yeah, right. I called my buddy who had a heli service and told him roughly what i wanted to do and he's like yeah come on, we'll make it happen but <laughs> like, yeah sounds great yeah and it was this it was a, a time when i had very little budget so yeah i drove a, i drove my car up there and uh the next day I actually I, the day i got there then the following day i did it
0: did he know the spot or did you know the spot no
1: no we, we i sh- i had me and one of their filmer and then we shared the heli with three of their skiers that were making a, a movie yeah and when we got in the heli, the guide told everybody, "Oh, we're going to circle a couple areas. Mike's looking for a landing. He's going to want to jump out of the helicopter today." You know, I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> cool." Um, and we didn't find a spot, so we were like, "Well, let's land here." And where we landed, I kind of started looking around, and it was—it was actually perfect. It had the horseshoe where I could put the camera shooting like straight across, and it would be a blue black background. Yeah, and. The more places I looked that were steeper had less snow on it, and so I I picked more of a, a rolling hill. Yeah, that had to load it. Snowed six or eight
0: feet. That's th- what I remember thinking when I saw that it. picture. It's like, not look that steep that landing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: but it had a, enough snow rolled. And it, when I was in the helicopter, I didn't have a bunch of photographers. You know, I had my remote, which I didn't know if it was going to work yeah. that far away because that that was actually the farthest I ever maxed it out at. Right. But I I didn't want the pressure of other photographers. So Yeah,
0: already quite a lot of pressure there. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So it it turned out to be big. But I wanted it to be pretty big so it looked like, you know, it was impossible to have someone air up that high off a quarter pipe or something. And and when being in the heli, I realized, okay, I I can see the snow texture. I feel like I've seen this before. And waited for my clarity of like am i gonna do this or not and then i you know just leaped off and the hardest part of it all was the downdraft of the blades got me going faster than gravity in some ways right and uh i kind of slid off the ski i couldn't even lift my snowboard or do any kind of like jump to keep keep control
0: sure so you effectively were pushed off it yeah
1: yeah but i've jumped off many bridges into rivers so i knew like the goal is to like lean forward as you're Taking off, so you can, you can always pull your knees yeah. in front. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you, if you start going back, then there's no recovery on falling backwards. Yeah. And uh, the hardest part was the heli guide had no reference. <laughs> so he couldn't see down below either. Yeah. It was too far underneath. And so I was just kind of like pointing my thumb left or right or up or down. <laughs> it was hard for us because it was, it was the other side, was like a five, six hundred foot cliff. Yeah. So we had this huge like wind current were kind of bouncing around and uh, the shadows shifted a little bit yeah on the ground by the time i set my camera up and jumped that's why actually the helicopter is to the left of the frame because I actually i moved my landing over right right the sun moved and uh jump don't remember exactly shooting the photo until like halfway down right i looked over like am i pushing the button <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's something else to think about right there yeah yeah but what i what i've learned in like when you grab your board, your other hand kind of does the same reflex. Yeah. And so I was lucky enough. The very first frame is actually me grabbing the board. The that first most one. people seen. Yeah. And I shot it all the way, actually, until I just almost hit the snow. And then uh, let go and got ready for impact. Yeah. And how's that? <laughs> it wasn't bad. It was definitely like halfway down. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to land this, i am probably put my knees in my chest. <laughs> I take the wind out of me. So I took it what I learned in competitions, if you go too far and you land in the flats, take half the impact into your legs and then just roll your body. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I did in the impact. I just kind of like took most of it in my legs, but I, I gave in and, and rolled and I, I buried myself. Yeah. So, Good job
0: there was all that snow. Yeah. It made I, a huge, huge loud noise. It's still like epic. So yeah, it'll be if people don't see it I'll I'll definitely post it so that people can <laughs> check it out. So how's this winter been then? So you've had this crazy winter, I guess you've. And obviously we talked about the the kind of maintenance side of it, but you you've been riding. I take it quite a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got a lift here. Yeah. So I've been riding that, and you can go snow Yeah. It's 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 been it's challenging though because we've had storm. Most of our storms have been five, seven foot dumps, and it, it's hard to get up here with seven feet of snow.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
1: So. The snowcat's great, great gift to getting around here. Yeah, so a lot of you know by half the day you're you're finally ready to ride. Yeah, or even if you want to go to the resort, it takes you a few hours to get to the resort from here, even though it's only six miles. Yeah, so sometimes I'll snow a bill straight there if it's not too deep. I just park my my snowmobile in the parking lot and go for some laps. Yeah, but otherwise I'm out out here taking laps and it's it's, uh, it's been a good winter. I haven't I haven't shot. A lot of photos out here this this season. You did some stuff with Sam, right? Sam yeah, McMahon. he came out. Yeah, that Nidecker thing. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, he came
1: out and had a had a great time.
0: Yeah. And was that for a project like a film or?
1: Um, that was kind of just get, getting our, our new products, the the Nidecker gear. Yeah, for uh, their next year's marketing and. Yeah, yeah, so just do doing some, some stuff for that. And yeah. And also just to hang out with Sam. And yeah, he's our new 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 guy. Do some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right.
0: um so i'm really interested obviously we've you know we've covered your career and we've covered your approach to snowboarding and, and life in general so at this point what ambitions have you got left for
1: snowboarding well you know i i, I i'm real, i feel much relaxed like in the younger years i feel, always felt like i wanted to prove something yeah or share you know my experience and i i feel like i've shared my full circle and that's kind of been my big drive up here now it's more about inviting people up and just having a personal experience yeah so it's not so much about stuff you'll see in magazines or in videos it's, um, having a yeah a closer intimate connection up here with people and yeah that's kind of been my my drive of like getting the place more tuned tuned in to being able to do that at ease i see myself Maybe even having people where they'll come up and stay here, and all right, you know, I'll just be somewhere else, and they can come and ride the lift. And, yeah, you know, just come up here for Christmas or whatever, and yeah, yeah, come up and maybe even have a line of Nidecker boards at the bottom of the lift, and test out stuff, and yeah, have have something that's kind of I want to I would love to give people a unique experience, which I feel like I can give that here, and hopefully go home with something that they can uh, put to motion in their their own life yeah i mean
0: it's it's a unique little part of the snowboarding world isn't it there's nothing else like it really
1: yeah it's it's really hard now because in the snowboard industry the the sponsorship part is kind of meeting a, a fine line for me is like okay do i keep doing that yeah or do i just kind of yeah. like bring in something else and don't know what but if it's what's renting this place out for the night you know having to, a rental kind of experience that might be more my outlet That's that might be the way it's going it's more promising the next
0: one the next evolution
1: yeah because the marketing for sponsorship is becoming more corporate sponsors that kind of can make sense out of it yeah snowboard brands are doing okay but the the market like everyone who makes a living at snowboarding usually their button gravy is like goodyear tires or, yeah, or yeah like some somebody Big,
0: telling that mainstream kind of story.
1: Yeah, and to keep that going, you need a lot more money for a budget to even be recognized, or yeah, people know what you're actually up to. What's
0: well, the grind of its own? That isn't it? You know, it's a, it's another kind of cycle game that you need to be committed to, isn't it? Really, if you're yeah. going to make it work.
1: Yeah, and it's it's kind of always been there for me. I I know the game. Yeah, but yeah. Just, I'm like a little like I I don't know if I have the same energy to yeah keep doing that. I love staying in the industry, but. I don't know if I'll make that my
0: way of like making a living yeah and what's next for this place the endless project
1: yeah well next summer well this this year this this snow won't be gone I'll be able to drive a car up here probably August 1st yeah I was gonna
0: say imagine your building season is pretty (laughs) narrow right it's super short so
1: I'll have August September and maybe part of like October yeah and then that's it so I'm hoping I'll dig a well and get that kind of lined up so my hot tub can actually be used in the in the winter. Yeah. Right now, it's, it takes forever to melt snow up here.
0: Yeah, wow. That's <laughs> a dig out first. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I actually bought the lot next to me this year. Right. And so my goal is to... I have about 100 feet of vertical drop. And so I want to pipe the creek because the creek's running right now. Yeah. It's To get it up here, it's a different task because it creates down dips that freeze. But I love to get the lift to run off the creek, right? And so, wow, I want to make a hydro lift. Wow, okay, <laughs> okay. amazing. Unless an- off grid completely.
0: Wow, <laughs> amazing and possible if you, yeah. So you've got the I, vision.
1: I think it's. I'll have about forty, fifty psi. Yeah, which is plenty to run that that thing. Wow, it's only one person at a time yeah well it's like
0: uh there's one in Niseko, isn't there like at the top there's like, like single chair thing it's a it? little yeah one seater that kind of vibe isn't i it? got
1: inspired by my first trip to japan yeah one seater chairlift and yeah, it's engineered yeah. it can only handle one person at a time i can i could if i got a bigger cable i could get two people
0: yeah it's great it's just got that character like everything else there you know it's like another unique thing isn't it
1: it's, it's fun and it's i mean just to be able to like dream up like can I make a lift run off a creek? Yeah. You know, like, it could be amazing just to not feel like you're sucking up anything of gas or anything. And yeah. Right. To,
0: Cause I mean, snowboarding is not an eco friendly sport. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can say that again.
1: Yeah. So, so if I can cut a tree down and make it with, you know, straps right on the lift, I'd, that would be something I'd work towards.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: amazing. Well, Mike, thanks so much. I really enjoyed
0: that. Nah, uh, thank yeah. Thank you. And thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me check it out, man. It's been great. Glad to have you. So there you go. That was me and Mike. And I really hope you enjoyed it. Pretty mystical experience that I've got to say the whole thing, you know, getting to check it out the way that Mike welcomed us does seem like another lifetime ago. Like I was saying at the start, given the absolute summary scenes taking place outside. But yeah, great memory from the trip and a great episode that I really enjoyed recording. And I hope you enjoyed listening to. Nice one. So what's going on this side? Well, not too much to report, really. I decided not to go to the Vans duct tape thing in the end. I just had too much going on, really. Still working away on Patagonia Type 2, which I had planned to release this week, but now looks like it might be delayed for another week or so. I'm going to be really interested to hear what people think about it, actually, given that this is my first foray into actual branded content. Just to recap my personal thinking about this whole thing, basically... I've been doing this show now for over two years and I financed the whole thing myself thanks to a lifetime affinity for, well, blagging, really. And because I run my own company with my friend um, who's very generously allowed me to fit this whole thing and around that. So, you know, I've not made any money from this. I've been offered ads over the months, but I've always turned them down because as I've mentioned on numerous occasions, I can't really bring myself to read those shit scripts and because I don't want to sully this platform that I've created that I'm naturally quite protective of really. Now over the months I've been contacted by a number of brands too including Patagonia who wanted to know if I was interested in developing an idea with them. So over the months we chatted and eventually type two was what we came up with which is what you're going to hear next week when I do release it. And for me, it was a great solution really because it's a commercial relationship with a brand that I admire and that I do use and that I don't mind promoting. Putting out a podcast that I've got complete editorial control over that comes out on my channel and that is going to be pretty much the same as what I already do, but just with a different theme. There's going to be some basic branding. There's going to be a Patagonia logo on there. There's going to be an ident at the top of each episode. But apart from that, it's my thing. And if... Patagonia and myself do part ways I still get to keep type 2 as a platform and you know it just seems like it's a good solution really I'm going to get paid I can keep looking sideways brand and advert free and uh, everyone out there gets more podcasts which everyone seems to like I don't know it seems like a good solution to me really so have a listen see what you think let me know Uh, Elsewhere, I've been having a few more chats about the book idea. Well, there's two book ideas going on, actually. Chatted to Owen the other day, and he's been doing some research into this California zine that we're going to do. And and we're going to do it. We're just going to pay for it, I think. Why not? Just for a laugh, really. Haven't really thought about whether we're going to charge for them and sell them, or we might just give them away. I don't know. I'll keep you posted. I've also got a meeting next week with a literary agent, about doing a proper looking sideways book which could be interesting so yeah a few chit chats around books I keep you posted and uh, as I've mentioned my thoughts are also turning to new milestones that need to be ticked off which again I've been mentioning a few times in recent episodes episode 100 which is coming up quickly new interviews generally but also live shows now it's been a while since this one came up but I think I'm I'm almost ready to go there. Again, the scars have healed from a a recent experience. Again, I've been offered a few options by various people. Haven't quite found the right combination just yet, but yeah, let me know what you reckon. I mean, you know me, I'm a big one for deconstructing podcast tropes and the live show is a biggie. It's a big trope, isn't it? I mean, I can picture it now, the slightly sketchy live recording, the whoops from the cloud, when a crowd even when I come on stage and say a up at the start could be good right so if you think it's a good idea let me know me on stage interviewing say I don't know Tom Lowe or Rachel Averton just pulled those two names off the top of my head really could be good though right you know what to do let me know over at podcast at we are looking or over at my Instagram at WeLookSideways. sideways that's it for now it's Friday night I'm already on the beer. It's been one of them weeks. I'll catch you later. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time. Nice one.